Chapter 21 of Gossip in the First Decade of Victoria's Reign by John Ashton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Exhibition of Cartoons, A Duel, A Monster, Gambling, The Albert Hat, Nelson's Statue, Fun Thereon, Soldier's Savings Banks, A Postboy and Lord Mayor's Show, Monsieur Julien and His Orchestra, prince albert as a farmer george the fourth statue ojibway indians the public exhibition of cartoons for the frescoes for the new palace of westminster took place in westminster hall on three july there were a hundred and forty subjects altogether varying in size from fifteen feet to ten feet square none being admitted over or under those standards prizes of three hundred pounds each were awarded to armitage watts and cope of two hundred pounds to calcutt bell and townsend of one hundred pounds to frost harris Silas, bridges and severn the judges being the marquis of lansdowne sir r peel and messrs s rogers westacott cook and eddy the cartoons remained in westminster hall for six months and in november were removed to the suffolk street gallery they were finally adjudicated upon by the royal commission of fine arts on twelve july eighteen forty four and the successful artists chosen to execute frescoes were cope horsley dice maclise redgrave and cave thomas the practice of duelling was fast dying out and i give the following case as being nearly one of the last and one in which the second and surgeon were tried for being accessory to murder two brothers-in-law lieutenant-colonel fawcett of the fifty-fifth regiment and lieutenant monroe of the royal horse guards quarrelled and on the morning of the first july fought a duel with pistols in a field at the back of the brecknock arms tavern in camden road lieutenant-colonel fawcett fell mortally wounded and died on the third july the coroner's jury found lieutenant monroe and the two seconds guilty of wilful murder and the surgeon as guilty in the second degree only as it was believed he was present only as medical attendant lieutenant monroe and his second got out of the way but lieutenant colonel fawcett's second and the surgeon were tried at the central criminal court on twenty five august no evidence was tendered against the surgeon and he was at once discharged and the jury found the second not guilty lieutenant monroe's second surrendered himself was tried on fourteen february eighteen forty four and acquitted lieutenant monroe was cashiered from the army for being absent without leave he afterwards surrendered and was tried eighteen august eighteen forty seven found guilty and sentenced to death which sentence was commuted to twelve months imprisonment in newgate the times of thirty june quoting the reading mercury has the following a monster a day or two since a gentleman travelling along the road near colnbrook had his attention attracted to the screams of a child in the care of a tramping woman who had with her two other children totally blind the cries of the child were so distressing that he insisted on knowing the cause but not getting a satisfactory answer he forcibly removed a bandage from its eyes when horrid to relate he found these encased with two small perforated shells in which were two live black beetles for the purpose of destroying the sight 
the woman was instantly seized and given into custody and at the magistrate's meeting at eton on wednesday last committed for trial there is too much reason to fear that the wretch produced the blindness of the other two children by similar means this was rendered into a street ballad a correspondent pointed out that it was well known to all who passed through the parish of st james at night that the district absolutely swarmed with gaming-houses there was in fact no concealment about the matter as the keepers vied with each other in illuminating their doors and windows to attract the notice of their victims how was it that this disgrace was permitted to exist from season to season the police seemed satisfied with the occasional conviction of one or more minor delinquents from the neighbourhood of leicester square but the leviathans in crime were allowed to continue their nightly course of profligacy and plunder with impunity the french authorities by a law which was strictly enforced entirely swept away this nuisance from their capital notoriously for years the very hotbed of the vice of gaming but we were lamentably behind our neighbours for while we boasted of a court pure in morals and strict in the performance of every religious duty we allowed the sabbath to be desecrated and the palace of the sovereign to be contaminated by the close vicinage of houses expressly open for the practice of this demoralising habit are we much better now at the latter end of october a new headdress for the infantry was proposed and prince albert was universally credited as being its godfather but public opinion was so unequivocally expressed against it that it was never likely to be popular it was neither soldier-like nor appropriate and bore a strong resemblance to the old hessian cap which was introduced into the german service the headgear was covered with black cloth the crown and brim being of black varnished leather the band was of white worsted as was the tuft which was placed on a ball of red worsted beneath this ball was a royal crown under which was a maltese cross in the centre of which was inscribed the number of the regiment punch was especially severe upon the albert hat and with the pictorial satire of prince albert's studio by the way the hat is in no ways exaggerated is the following ever since the accession of prince albert to the royal husbandship of these realms he has devoted the energies of his mind and the ingenuity of his hands to the manufacture of infantry caps cavalry trousers and regulation sabretasches one of his first measures was to transmogrify the pantaloons of the eleventh hussars and as the regiment alluded to is prince albert's own his royal highness may do as he likes with his own and no one can complain of his bedizening the legs of the unfortunate eleventh with scarlet cloth and gold door leather when however the prince throwing the whole of his energies into a hat proposed to encase the heads of the british soldiery in a machine which seemed a decided cross between a muff a coal-scuttle and a slop-pail then punch was compelled to interfere for the honour of the british army the result has been that the headgear has been summarily withdrawn by an order from the war office and the manufacture of more of the albert hat has been absolutely prohibited greatness of mind is shown in various ways by different individuals hannibal was a great cutter-out for he cut a passage through the alps 
but prince albert cuts out hannibal inasmuch as his royal highness devotes his talent to the cutting out of coats and things inexpressible the prince's studio could not fail to be an object of interest to the readers of punch we have therefore at an enormous sacrifice of time and specie obtained a view of it on the morning of november three at four a m the raising of a portion of the colossal statue of nelson on the pillar in trafalgar square commenced this figure is seventeen feet high from its base to the top of the hat and is made of stone from the granton quarry belonging to the duke of buckley it weighs nearly eighteen tons and needless to say is made in segments these were put together before it was raised to show the public and during the two days it was on view it was visited by one hundred thousand persons the building this column had seemed slow but that was nothing compared to its completion the bas-reliefs were long in being placed and it was not until thirty one january eighteen sixty seven that landseer's four couchant lions were exposed to public gaze of the progress of its building punch twenty five november eighteen forty three has some very fine fooling the nelson column drama the earliest announcement of the late covent garden management was a piece entitled trevolger square or the nelson monument we have obtained the following slight information respecting it the drama is described as a grand architectural and historical burletta in two acts and the prologue was to have been spoken by mr widdicombe as time the two acts comprise the commencement and completion and a lapse of twenty years is supposed to take place between them in which time the boy who is the principal character becomes a middle-aged man the following speech is very fine the boy inquires of the mason when the column will be finished who replies in an interval of the steak banquet which they are enjoying together mason i've asked that fearful question of the stars who wink responding of the board of works whose works have bored us of the misty moon towards whose lodgings after years of toil we rise no nearer all were still but now whilst gazing on that steak of beef sent up to form our capital repast and cheer us in our lonely solitude i hope the best the best can hope no more twill rise like college honours by degrees and to our limbs a pillar be of ease our hearts are warm although upon the freeze the following duet is also introduced by the man and the boy in the second act boy i remember i remember when i was a little boy on the column in november i was given some employ i helped the man to build it and we laboured hard and long but the granite came up slowly for we were not very strong i remember i remember how we raised its form on high with one block in december and another in july both we remember we remember when st martin's bells were rung in the laying of the first stone for we both were very young but weary years have passed now since we our work begun we fear we shall not last now to see our labour done we remember we remember but we heard it on the sly twon't be finished next november nor the subsequent july
Very early in November, a War Office circular, dated 31 October, was issued to regulate and establish regimental savings banks, which have done so much to encourage thrift among our soldiers. The maximum of each soldier's deposit was limited to £30 in any one year, and to 200 in the whole. The rate of interest on deposits was fixed at £3.15 shillings per hundred per annum, but no interest was to be allowed upon less than 6 shillings 8 pence and 13 shillings 4 pence, nor upon any sums that had not remained on deposit for at least one month to be reckoned from the last monthly muster day. In the Times of 10 November is the following. A rather amusing scene took place in Cheapside yesterday, shortly before the Lord Mayor's procession to Westminster. Whilst the streets were blocked up against the passage of vehicles and horses, one of those sharp little urchins known by the generic title of the Twopenny Cavalry, who rattled through the streets with Her Majesty's suburban mails, was stopped opposite Bowchurch by a party of police, who told him they acted under the orders of the Lord Mayor. The postboy, with all the dignity of Her Majesty's representative, assuming an air of great condescension, assured the police that he had the highest possible respect for the Lord Mayor, but being express upon Her Majesty's business, he was determined to proceed. The police persisted in stopping him, a crowd collected, and it was clear their sympathy sided with the postboy, who carried himself throughout the controversy with great courage, calmness, and self-possession. The police had by this time seized the bridle, whilst the boy endeavoured to force his way forward, backed by the strenuous exertions of his steed, who also appeared as if inspired by the authority of a royal commission. The postboy, finding physical force insufficient, tried what authority would do, and threatened them with the vengeance of the Home Secretary for attempting to stop Her Majesty's mails. This had the desired effect of bringing the police to a parley, and as the postboy was backed by popular applause, he gained momentarily in the discussion, but did not complete his advantage until he took out a memorandum book and began coolly to note down the numbers of the constables. This stroke was decisive. They at once capitulated, merely stipulating that they should have his address in return. To this he readily assented, and searched diligently for his card-case, but that mark of gentility was not at hand. He, however, made a page from his memorandum-book serve his purpose, and took his leave amid the loud congratulations of the applauding crowd, with the following pithy address to the constables. "'I can't well see what use you are. A hundred years ago there were no police, and Lord Mayor's shows went off better than they do now. For my part, I can't see what you do here at all, for you know—' he added with a significant grin, you know you don't look so very well in a procession. Shouts of laughter followed the postboy's brief speech as he rode on triumphantly. It was about this time that Monsieur Louis Antoine Julien, to whom we owe so much for the popularization of good music and for the improvement of our orchestras, came into notoriety as a caterer for the public's amusement and for his promenade concerts. These had been popular in the open air at Vauxhall, Ranleigh, Marylebone, and other public gardens, but the first, under cover, was given in 1838 at the Lyceum Theatre, 
or, as it was then called, the English Opera House, when the pit was boarded over and an orchestra erected on the stage exactly as we are now so familiar with. Julien, in 1838, had been unlucky in Paris, was bankrupt, and came to London, where in 1840 he was assistant to Eliasson, the violinist and conductor of an orchestra of 100 performers and a small chorus next year julien was the conductor and in eighteen forty two on two december he started for himself at the english opera house the series of promenade concerts with which his name will always be associated he always would have the very best musicians that he could find for his orchestra and in this year eighteen forty three among them were barrett bauman harper Koenig, richardson hill lazarus Peaty, howell and jarrett and in after years he had such soloists as ernst sibury botzini viniski and Santon. in eighteen fifty seven he came financially to grief he then went to paris was imprisoned for debt in clichy in eighteen fifty nine and died in a lunatic asylum on fourteen march eighteen sixty in his later years he became much stouter than he is here represented and as a conductor posed a great deal too much those of my readers who recollect him will acknowledge the truth of the following description of him when conducting his british army quadrilles taken from his biography in grove's history of music and musicians with coat thrown widely open white waistcoat elaborately embroidered shirt-front wristbands of extravagant length turned back over his cuffs a wealth of black hair and a black moustache itself a striking novelty he wielded his baton encouraged his forces repressed the turbulence of his audience with indescribable gravity and magnificence went through all the pantomime of the british army or navy quadrille seized a violin or a piccolo at the moment of climax and at last sunk exhausted into his gorgeous velvet chair all pieces of beethoven's were conducted with a jewelled baton and in a pair of clean kid gloves handed him at the moment on a silver salver prince albert took a great interest in agriculture and his flemish farm at windsor was a model but it was hard to make the average englishman believe that a foreigner could ever do any good as a farmer and john leach drew a fancy portrait of the prince in punch twenty five november where it illustrates a portion of a speech of sir robert peel at tamworth prince albert has turned his attention to the promotion of agriculture and if you have seen as most probably you have an account of the sale of prince albert's stock and the price they fetched i have not the slightest doubt you will give one cheer more to prince albert as a british farmer in the beginning of december the bronze equestrian statue of george the fourth was set up on a pedestal at the northeast corner of trafalgar square it is the work of chantry and was intended to be mounted on the marble arch which was originally the gateway to buckingham palace until its removal to cumberland gate hyde park in eighteen fifty one in the very early part of december some of her majesty's subjects canadian indians from the northeastern shores of lake huron came to visit england 
They were of the Ojibwe tribe, and were nine in number, two old chiefs, four warriors, two women, and a little girl, ten years old. On the 20th of December they were presented to the Queen at Windsor, and received from Her Majesty a cheque for twenty pounds, and a quantity of gorgeous plaid with which to astonish the other natives on their return. They afterwards exhibited themselves, danced war-dances, etc., at the Egyptian Hall at an admission fee of half a crown. End of chapter 21